0: So in those seasons when we are making a drive from here in New York back home to Chicago, oftentimes we will pass through Cleveland. And if we miss our turn, sometimes we'll end up in the city of Cleveland. And there's this spot near the city that goes from like 80 miles an hour down to 30 in like a quarter of a mile with these two major curves. Now, fortunately, they're pretty good about warning you with the, the rumble strips and, and signs all over the place. But you're kind of just bumping along and then, whoa. And you didn't realize just how massive of a slowdown it was going to be. And if you are not paying attention, you are going into the wall. Guaranteed. <laughs> even knowing it sometimes it's like, whoa, I got to slow down even further. You ever come up on a curve like that in your life? Like, where in the world did that come from? Sometimes we need such a shakeup to, to keep us alert and to keep us from going on autopilot. Especially if we are... Familiar with reading the Bible, particularly in this context, we can sort of get lulled into expecting it to say something, it, you know, and, and thinking, okay, this is the story that I've read a hundred times. I know what it's going to say. I know where it's going to go, and all that sort of stuff. And the one, it's the one time where not being familiar with the story can actually be an advantage, because you're hearing it for the first time. You're not lulled into autopilot on it. And today's story, God takes some very unexpected twists, and, and acts in ways that you might not think God would normally act, especially in who the who and the how of its characters. So check this story out. This comes out of Genesis 32, way at the beginning of the Bible, about halfway through the book of Genesis, maybe a little bit further on. Uh, this is going to be all throughout Genesis 32, but broken up into some sections. Let's so check it out. Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have lived with Laban as an alien and stayed until now, and I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female slaves, and I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies, thinking, If Esau comes to the one company and destroys it, then the other company that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, And I will do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I am afraid of him. He may come and kill us all, the mothers with the children. Yet you have said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted because of their number. Well, as with most stories, it helps to have a bit of a recap because we are sort of dropping into the middle of this character's story as it's going on. So on last week's episode, understand going into this story that names are highly important in this culture as they can be today. You know, we often will name our children after meaningful people in our lives or people that made a difference in our lives. In biblical culture, we take that idea and we multiply it by 10. So... Jacob's name. What does it mean? It means supplanter. It means trickster. So One who um, finds his way by sneaking around others. And here is uh, our main character, Jacob here, and his brother Esau, who are twin brothers. Jacob was the second born of the twins, which means that he missed out on family inheritance by minutes, which went to Esau because he was the first born. So by by rule, I guess. He was the one who would get the inheritance. He was the one who would get the family blessing. And so living up to his name, Jacob and his mom uh, plot to get him the family blessing. And they deceive his father, Isaac, who is going blind and he's old by this time. And so he steals the blessing from his brother, Esau. Here is the thing. Esau... (coughs) Here's the thing. Esau was a hunter. Um, Here's a little helpful tip knowing that and knowing how this story is played out just in the little bit that I've read already. Never deceive somebody who deals with weapons for a living. It will hurt him later on in the story. It will hurt the story. It will not go well for somebody who tries to do that. So ultimately, as uh, Jacob gets the blessing and then he ditches town and he goes off into another land, he is, falls in love with a woman named Rachel. And so he is, um, works for her father, Laban, for seven years, which was kind of a, a normal way of kind of earning his daughter's hand in marriage. And so he works for the seven years, and he um, gets to his wedding day, and he's ready to marry Rachel and uh, kind of lifts up the veil, and it's Rachel's younger sister or older sister that is getting married. It's, Wait! I didn't expect to marry Leah. I wanted to marry Rachel. And so Laban, his father-in-law, tricked him into, "Hey, you want Rachel? You know, Leah was the older, so she gets married first. If you want Rachel, hey, work for me for another seven years." And so Jacob kind of gets played himself and um, gets tricked into another seven years of of labor, so that so that Jacob could eventually have Rachel. But not to be outdone. This is all just the theme of what's going on here. Not to be outdone, Jacob and Rachel run away from Laban and the family, and they steal the family idols from Laban, which gives them basically inheritance from Laban's family. So he's all up in arms and ready to uh, chase after Jacob and Rachel. And we come to today's story, and Jacob is getting cornered. He has his warrior brother with 400 men on one side of him, He has a ticked off father-in-law on the other side. And as we'll see, that's not all. He's he's getting backed into into a corner. And the story continues in Genesis 32 verses 22 to 32. Check it out. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream. And likewise, everything that he had, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was pulled out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him, and he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. Jacob is all alone, and he's wanting to make restitution with his brother, but he's afraid of how that's going to turn out. Understandably so, he has um, stolen from his warrior brother, and he ends up wrestling in a wrestling match with God. And after a night of combat, one might think, "All right, God just got to put this guy out, just finish him off, get him to tap. I mean, get rid of this con art, get rid of this con artist already, rid the world of him." Now, to be sure, God says, all right, enough is enough, and he breaks his hip. But, you know, speaking from experience, if the hip is busted and you're alive, you are alive, but you're not going to be doing much. You're certainly not going to be very effective in a fight. So he has finally incapacitated him. And true to his name, Jacob grabs at the heel of this angel of the Lord and says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It's a perfect place for God to finish him off. He's he's basically begging for mercy. He's begging for blessing. Why should I, Jacob? You've been a trickster all your life, and now it's payback time. But he doesn't. Here's that twist. Rather, he says, so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Remember how I said that names are an important part of this culture? With nobody around to blame. He is, Jacob has sent his family away so that they're safe. He is. um, send his men forward to try and appease Esau, he's all by himself and he's forced to deal with his ways. He's got no fight left in him and he admits who he's been. I'm Jacob. I'm the trickster. You ever notice how sometimes it's just simpler to come clean when you have no, no more loopholes to jump through, no more outs, no more blame games you can play or verbal gymnastics you can try and do? It's like parent, when your parents would catch you with your hand in the cookie jar and you can't lie your way out of it. And you realize sometimes <coughs> coming clean is the only option you've got. I've seen it in my own life when I let down my guard and, um, and I confess a struggle, uh, in this case to another person, usually. Change becomes so much easier because I just I get out of my own way. One where I said, I don't need an enemy. I have myself. And God has this lifetime deceiver in this very spot. And Henry Nouwen, a a Catholic priest from about a generation ago, he describes God's interaction like communion bread, where he says he chooses us, he blesses us, he breaks us, and then he sends us. Sometimes there is that breaking moment in there. You see, in verse 28, Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. And this life sentence worthy punk would become the father of 12 tribes, which would eventually, as we see in Matthew 1, through the first 18 verses of the sort of why would I read over this genealogy, we see that Jacob would eventually bear Judah to Jesse to David, to Joseph, to Jesus. And Jacob is given a new name and with it a new identity. One that is in line with ultimately God's plan to bring about the Savior of the world. That's the curveball that God can use. Like, it's like when we ask God into our life and we expect God to maybe, (coughs) think of it like God and us sort of perusing our proverbial house of life. And God comes into our our house, and so we expect God to upgrade the floor or to rearrange the furniture, and maybe just going to tidy up the house a little bit, and that's going to be our Christian life. And then we look out the window, and it's like God's got a wrecking ball outside. It's like, all right, God's saying, all right, the foundation is shot. We're just going to start over from scratch. That's kind of the curve that he throws to Jacob. He's like, you've been a trickster all your life. You have been finagling people to get what you want and everything like that. That was all Jacob. Jacob is done. You have a new identity, a new name, a new calling. You are Israel, the one who has um, striven with God and with humans and has prevailed. He was broken. He had no hope but the end of his rope. Enemies all around him. and In that moment, he clings to God with all that he has. All of his previous trickery and conniving, that was all his own skills and his own conniving. Now, every step he takes with this busted hip, he's reminded how much he depends on God to do this work, to, to allow him to be part of this story. And God was there for him. And we're at our breaking point. When we have no hope but the end of our rope, God will be there for us. He may not show up in the way that we expect or do what we expect him to do. I can imagine that um, Jacob's family would not have expected God to choose Jacob in the way that he's being in the character that he apparently has or that he would remind him of his dependence on God by busting up his hip so that every time he takes a step, he's reminded of that dependence, that doing things his own way got him into trouble. Sometimes he even breaks us. God will break us before he builds us. So have you, like Jacob, encountered that living God in a way that completely broke you of your pride, that shattered your expectations of what following him would look like, that you can kind of snap out of the, the lull or the autopilot and go, whoa, what happened? Jacob was bound and determined to get his blessing from God. He didn't let go and he didn't run away. When he was in what appeared to be the hardest challenge of his life, he clung to God. And a strange encounter at the river turned into a blessing for the world. As it can be for you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for sometimes working in strange ways, but still working nonetheless. For using us, even when we bring nothing to the table. even Just like Jacob did. He had nothing but deceit as his resume. And you loved him enough to wrestle with him, to uh, break him, and then, yes, to build him back up with a new name and a new identity. So do the same for us, we pray. Amen.